This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. Tail or main? Pick one, Manticore. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo. We're comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season six, episode nine of both shows, starting with Gilmore Girls, The Prodigal Daughter Returns. As well as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smashed. Both episodes end with an embrace. That is true. They do. Different types, though. (laughs) But we're not there yet. No. We're coming at you live from the morning times. Yeah, it's morning for sure. God, why why did we decide to do the podcast in the morning? I mean, it's like 11 a.m., so it's... It's the morning, guys. It's pretty early. We got woken up at like 8 a.m. by some kind of saw. It was before 8. I don't know that that's legal. Drill. The construction people in New York City that like needed to work on houses or whatever, they're not allowed to start till 8. They always start at like 7.55. I'm like, you can't just... I guess it doesn't matter. It's five minutes, but it's like, could you just wait till it's legal to do the sound? Speaking of things happening outside of our window, we have an update about the yard man. Right. So our you guys know, crazy neighbors constantly. Maybe a week or so ago, we just noticed that our apartment smelled like a campfire. And we were like, what, what's happening? Is there like a building on fire? So I like kind of look around the neighborhood trying to find it. And then we realized that in the backyard, dudes just got like a campfire. I think this is the same dude that smokes a cigar outside of yes. our window every afternoon. This is not the guy who dances and juggles and paints and has, like, revamped the backyard. So I go back there, and I'm just like, what, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, just having a campfire. And I didn't want to confront this guy because, like, his wife's with him. Also, the dude's huge. And also, I'm like, what? So I was like, you're just having a campfire back here? Okay. We look it up. It's totally not legal to have a yeah. fire in New York City. This campfire is maybe two feet away from the apartment complex. And it's also under a tree. It's like a lot of red flags for fires. Also, yes, it's just illegal in New York City to have any kind of like open flame like that in a yard. And it's just like right outside a million windows. It's kind of cold enough now that maybe not everybody has their window open, but like we did. That's how we smelled it. And like our whole apartment smells like camping. New York apartments are designed to have their windows open during the winter. This is not a joke. It's literally because of the flu pandemic. You can look this up. Window that rats are radiators are so hot in New York City. It's because they're designed to keep your apartment warm even with the windows open. So anyway, he quickly packed up and called it a night, probably because he's like, "Oh, that dude's gonna call the cops. This is not legal." Yeah, I bet he Googled it and was like, "Yeah, what are we doing?" I suspect the yard man installed the fire. It's like one of those metal fire pits. It's not a pit though. It's like above the ground. Yeah, like one of those little canister. I don't know. They know what I'm talking about. But he has this, like, set up in this area of this courtyard with, like, chairs around it as if to say, come have a campfire. People of the building, I've made this nice for you. There's probably even, like, a fucking poster for it in this building that these people all live in. That this dude painted. Yeah. So this weekend, one day at, like, 10 a.m., we awake to the smell of campfire. It's the yard man just having a morning fire. Just a morning campfire. And at this point, I'm tired and I'm just like, no, I'm done with this. What the hell? You can't. It's not cool to make our apartment smell like a fucking campfire. So I just go out there and I just lose my shit. I'm just like, what are you doing, man? Like, what wh- th- what what are you doing? And I point out all the fire hazards and you're pouring smoke into all of these windows. And it's illegal, man. It's just not legal to do this. 
And the dude goes, oh, I, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm like, you didn't. It just boggles my mind how, like, people do stuff like create a fire pit and don't think of the consequences. This guy could easily burn down our next door apartment complex and, like, kill families. Like, it's not a funny thing. I would think to look it up. Because you don't, like, see fires like that yeah. in New York. There must yeah. be a reason that that's not common, not just because no one's thought to do it yet. Yeah. I mean, not – okay, I was a Boy Scout. Eagle Scout, baby. Yes, I'm an Eagle Scout. So, like, yes, I have a lot of experiences with creating fires and, like, have been tested and all the dangers of fires and stuff. But, like, I, I, I don't fire's not that complicated. It just feels like, I don't know, two feet away from an apartment, it's like you should know that that's very close to, like, things that can catch on fire. Under a tree branch, that's also not safe. Anyway, I'm ranting, but it was very frustrating. In other news, I'm doing my restaurant show again. Yes, you are. If you live near New York, please come. It's going to be on Wednesday, November 16th at 9.30 p.m. at the Caveat Theater this time. I'll post a, a link to the tickets in the episode description. It's possible we'll have it streamable online for a ticket price as well. Stay tuned. We might. It's the same show we did last time, but a little different. We shortened it a little and we're putting in some new stuff. I did have a sketch about Hungry Hungry Hippos that we're not doing. So Brian and I repurposed those costumes for Halloween the other day. That was fun. Yeah. We went down to like a popular Halloween area in New York and a couple of our friends met us and we went as the four Hungry Hungry Hippos. These yeah. like DIY costumes I made for my show in August and we were very popular. Yeah, a lot of people were like, you won best costume. I was like, a lot of, are any of these people judges? I would like to win something. That's just not true, though. Like, I don't know. It's, like, bright and cute, but, like, there's some people go all out with their yeah. costume detail. Right, yeah. The heads are nice and, like, well done. So, like, if you made this for a costume, it's plenty of work. Yeah, it was a lot of work. They literally are just, like, garbage, though. They're, like, <laughs> soda boxes and paper towel tubes. We have photos online. You should check them out. But also, we want to get to the podcast here in a minute, but we have to address something from the last podcast. Some people pointed out to us something we overlooked. So in Tabula Rasa, Giles finds out that he owns a magic shop with Anya, and he says, oh, that's very progressive of me. He's surprised that he also owns this shop with Anya. And we interpreted that to be like maybe a misogynistic statement because he's surprised he owns the store with his wife. Which we were confused by because that doesn't really fit Giles' profile and weren't sure why he would say that. But some listeners pointed out, and I think they're totally right, and I'm kicking myself for missing this, that he doesn't believe in magic. He already sets that up. So when he finds out he owns a magic store, he's like, oh, that's a progressive thing since I like don't believe in magic. And it wasn't that he hates women. Yes, we did realize it before we released the episode because we released this section of the podcast early on our Patreon. A few people pointed it out. But I left it in. Because that's how we interpreted it. And we both had that reaction. Yeah. Could still be right, but it's probably the other thing. Yeah. All right, Brian. Before we jump into it, we have like a ton of five-star reviews. I see that. Thank you so much to Diebels111, Holly Marie 915 From Canada, thank you to Robert Sherwood 77 And we've got a couple from Great Britain. What's my password? As well as Dentonvale. Dentonville found out she was pregnant when she started listening to our podcast. So she said the baby is probably as familiar with our voices as hers. Oh, and she said the baby might develop a strange love for spaghetti. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. of my obsession. We have some spaghetti-centric stuff early on, too. Yeah. Brian goes to work in a physical office on Tuesdays, so I'm left to eat dinner alone, and I make spaghetti like every time. And she fucks it. Not every time. <laughs> All right. We got to go. Let's do it. Bye, guys. <laughs> that was it. No, we need to get into the episode. 
This week, we started with Gilmore Girls. Brian, tell us about the prodigal daughter returns. What daughter are they talking about? Yeah, I don't think any daughters are in this episode. This is just one of those boring April episodes, you know, where not that much happens. Is that a phrase? Just a boring April episode. You guys have heard that phrase before. <laughs> uh, this episode is about the reunion we've all been waiting for, and also a surprise for Luke. So the episode starts with Lorelai coming home to an excited Luke. He's excited because he paid Tom a bonus to get things done quickly, and now the house is finally complete. All of the alterations and changes have been made, and Lorelai is like, she almost doesn't believe it. Luke has added a chain lock to the front door, and there's like a really funny scene where Lorelai's trying to get in, and she keeps struggling to get in, even though Luke's like, just wait a second. She's like trying to crawl through, and she's like, Landshark, Candygram. That's all very funny. I did look up that Landshark is an SNL sketch, but it's also interesting that there was a land shark in the previous episode of Buffy. Yes. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's connections abound between these shows. But she was directly referencing the SNL sketch. Yes. Lorelai has a lot of really quick, funny, witty dialogue in this opening scene. I can't even, like, list it all. But Luke, like, takes her to the bedroom and is like, got a surprise for you. Close your eyes. She's like, Luke, I'm not afraid of it anymore. That's <laughs> all very funny. There's even more. This big bedroom surprise, though, is a bunch of ancient, tiny, gross bedroom furniture handed down from Luke's grandfather. He's all proud and like, look at all these pictures of sailboats we can put up in this old warped mirror. I think it's grandmother. What did I say? Grandfather, I think. Oh, well, I have grandmother written down, so I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> and you said it's tiny. The bed is a small bed, but other than that, I would say it's oversized and large, chunky furniture. Yeah, absolutely. It's The bed specifically is what I meant by tiny. It's like a twin. It's so small. The frame is enormous, but it's such a small bed. Fun fact, we sleep on a full-size bed, which is kind of small, but we're kind of small. I thought we slept on a queen. We do not. Okay. We're very snuggly, whether we like it or not. A queen probably would fit in our bedroom, but I didn't want to get a queen in case we moved to a tiny New York apartment and it wouldn't fit. This bed is, like, super tiny. Like, there's no way to sleep with somebody in it unless you're, like, always inside of them. <laughs> that's too much. Did you ask if that's too much? Yes. That is too often to be inside of someone, yes. <laughs> okay. It does look smaller than our bed. Luke claims Lorelai once visited his storage unit, like, five years ago and said that she liked all this furniture. And he's all very, like, happy to share it with her. She's like, yeah, I like it. It's great. But it's clear she does not like it at all. She hates it. Now that the house is finally done, uh, Lorelai invites Suki and Jackson over for dinner. At work, Lorelai's talking to Suki, and she admits that she, like, hates Luke's old bedroom set. But she feels bad because Luke has done, like, a million things to, like, make her happy. Like, buy the Twigham house, decide to sell the Twigham house and move into her house and, like, repair her house for her so they can live together. And she's like, can't I just, like, give him this one thing? She's like, nah, I can't, though. <laughs> like, it's, it's too gross. And I get it. it it's a lot. There's something funny in this scene. She invites her over for Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And Lorelai says, I heard it's all right for fighting. Get a little action in. Right. Do you know what that is? It's a song. Yeah, it's an Elton John song. It's interesting twofold because there ends up being a fight at this oh, dinner. Yeah. That's right. But there's also an episode coming up called Friday Night's All Right for Fighting. Oh, it's doubly interesting. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Rory and Emily are not getting along. They are speaking through the maid right now. They're not even talking. If you remember, the last episode culminated in a big fight between Rory and Emily at a DAR meeting where Rory was like, you're becoming a lot like my mother's grandmother. Mother's mother. She's becoming like Emily, not like Trix. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. Although kind of like Trix too. Yeah. <laughs> but Emily is just like so absurdly controlling over Rory. It's just crazy. 
When Rory tries to take him up into her room, Emily tells the maid to tell Rory that all food must be eaten in the dining room. And then Rory's like, okay, but you like eat stuff on the patio sometimes. And she's like, yeah, but in the morning, everything has to be eaten in the dining room. Just a totally made up bullshit excuse to force Rory to spend time with her. I hate Emily. This scene is like a perfect example of that. She probably just doesn't want Rory to take it to the zoo and feed it to the animals. <laughs> She's in her, like, Ghostbuster zookeeper outfit again. Every time I see that, I'm like, Rory's a Ghostbuster. It's just like this onesie she wears to the this jumpsuit, not a onesie. I mean, it is. It doesn't matter. So Rory leaves the muffin, and Emily says to the maid, well, if you expect that muffin to fly itself back to the kitchen, you better go get it a cape. It's funny, but also, like, you're cruel, Emily. You're a cruel woman, and you're bad. Well, that woman gets fired, so. Yeah, I'm sure. She does. Yeah. <laughs> Richard says later she fired the maid. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I liked how they were talking through the maid. <laughs> Rory was like, tell my grandma, what? <laughs> the, the maid didn't really relay the information. No, the maid's like, I'm going to be here like 10 more minutes. Later, Richard comes home in a big hurry because he's about to leave on a business trip. He's like talking to Emily. Like he's like yelling to her upstairs, but she's not there. And then he runs into Colin and Finn moving some of Rory's stuff out. They're also accidentally moving some of Richard's stuff out. They have like tennis rackets and humidors that are his. All the dialogue in this scene is like super funny. Finn is sad that the humidors are going to have to go back, that they're not Rory's. So he's like asking Richard if he can keep them. He's like, I'll promise to show him a picture of you every Christmas. It was all very funny. I swear it looks like Colin is about to break the entire scene. You could just tell they're having fun. Like, Richard's angry head shake at them is just, like, so hammy. So you boys and you're taking stuff that doesn't belong to you. I bet they were excited to do a scene with him. Yeah. But the important part of the scene is that Richard did not know Rory was moving out. He's like, what? She didn't tell me that she was moving out. You don't do that. So he's upset about that as well. And we find out that Rory has moved into Lane's. And we find out, because at Luke's, Lorelai notices that Lane is avoiding eye contact with her. And there's some very funny dialogue where Lorelai pretends to guilt trip Lane for an old show being canceled. It's complicated, but it was all very, very funny dialogue. Yeah, she's like, the show's canceled. And Lane's like, oh, sorry. And Lorelai's like, well, it's your fault, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all, it was very quick. It was very funny. It's a Lisa Kudrow show that was on HBO. It actually got brought back in, like, 2014 or something. Oh, way to go, Lane. Yeah. Lane tells Lorelai she's being weird because she doesn't know what to say to her because Rory's moved in and she wasn't sure if she's allowed to mention that. Lorelai's like, okay, I got it. You didn't tell me. Uh, let's be friends again. <laughs> also notably in this scene, Luke lies to Lorelai about something. He does. Oh, about the nachos. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. It was like such a small detail. I wasn't even going to mention it, but that's absolutely right. I'm so glad you brought that up. So Lorelai is eating nachos at the start of this, and she says to Luke, like, you used uh, low-fat cheese and baked chips instead of fried. He's like, I did not use low-fat cheese, omitting the fat. He, like, doesn't address the other part, and then she calls him out on it. He maybe didn't technically lie. Maybe he said it in a way that wasn't lying. Because thinking about it now, I think he didn't lie. He's just like, I didn't use that cheese. And it's like, right, but... You're now telling me that you use baked chips. But she is like, how am I supposed to trust you if you can't even be honest about my nachos or something like that? So yeah, it's interesting knowing where this episode goes. Yeah, because the episode is actually very nacho heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, I like that Rory's staying with Lane because it's like, oh, yeah, Lane stayed with Rory for like forever in Yale. And so it's nice that she's returning the favor. Yeah. Not everyone is super pumped about her staying at Lane's, specifically Zach. Oh, my God, dude. Zach is being a total asshole in this episode. He just keeps passive-aggressively complaining about Rory staying there and using items like their shampoo and paper towels. He complains that Rory's got two paper towels for her sandwich. And I'm just like, bitch, get a job, dude. 
You're the laziest, lamest bellyacher in the world. Like, you're just a poser, too. You're constantly talking about stuff not being cool or rock and roll enough and how you're not living that life. And here you are acting like a fucking penny-pinching coupon clipper. Like, fuck you, man. You suck as a character. Like, you're just such a complainer. Everything is is such a hassle for you. Like, I know we play it for comedy, but, like, I it's, oh, he's he's too, like, I don't understand what Lane sees in him at all. Yeah, they, they haven't really shown us that. In the few attempts they've had to show us him trying to be sweet, I don't mind a character who's, like, trying to be sweet but, like, isn't great at it, you know, and it's kind of fumbling through romance. But, like, his romantic gestures are so pathetic that it's like, okay, but then the rest of you also sucks, so... Why do we like you? He gets funny lines sometimes too. Yes, like he even does. in this episode. Yes, I'm about. I made makes me so mad because <laughs> there is a very funny line he says. At some point, Rory goes to leave, and he just kind of mumbles to himself quietly, like, "Oh yeah, just go ahead and leave your laptop plugged in and drain all of our electricity." And Lane yells at him, and he goes, "What? No, I'm just writing a song." <laughs> it was super fucking funny. I'm mad that it's funny. I still hate Zach. But that line is great. Rory gets a call from Mr. Woltz from the Stamford Eagle Gazette. He's responding to her request for a recommendation. He's more than happy to sing her praises to anyone that might want to hire her. He thinks she was amazing and any place would be lucky to have her as a journalist. He goes on to say that Mr. Huntsberger has wronged a lot of people. A lot of people don't get along with that dude and she's not alone, so she shouldn't feel bad about it. He apologizes that he can't hire her at the Gazette. He just doesn't have any room or money right now for her, but he hopes she gets a job somewhere else. This actor's in stuff. I've seen yeah. him in other things. Yeah. But definitely not in the episode where Rory works at that paper. <laughs> like, he would have been in the meeting she was in, I think. Oh, absolutely. He plays one of Topanga's dads in Boy Meets World. I've seen him in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Does Topanga have multiple dads? She has multiple actors that play her dad. Oh, okay. Sure. One is actually the, I can't think of his real name right now, but from Better Call Saul, Jimmy's brother. Oh, wow. Mr. Green from Clue. He's He's got a name. He's very famous. I just can't think of it off the tip of my tongue. He's got a very famous name. I think it's Abraham Lincoln. I don't want to Google it right now. So Lorelai and Luke have their dinner with Suki and Jackson. Luke and Jackson are just, ugh, they're, dialogue. they're like just arguing over manly versus the correct ways to cook burgers. Again, it's like, I don't know, Amy Sherman Palladino doesn't write men that great. <laughs> Luke is insane and like toxically masculine. He's like... Uh, the way you're cooking's not manly. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Just shut up. It is kind of a cool way that it's shot, though, because while Jackson and Luke are arguing, Suki and Lorelai are kind of, like, adding little quips here and there, but they're, like, kind of passing in front of them, mm-hmm. doing kitchen stuff. I don't know. It was just sort of a fun, chaotic, creative choice to shoot it. Yeah. It felt very choreographed. Yeah. Suki also brought some, like, chicken and dumplings that she's going to cook just in case the food is bad, which is also, like, super rude. Like, I know it's, like, a character choice, but, like, Luke knows how to cook, so it's, like, weird that you brought your own food. She had a good point that if they didn't touch it, Laurel, I could just, like, freeze it and eat it forever. Right. That's, that is true. But I, I just don't understand how anyone would see that as anything other than an insult, especially when the guy who's cooking the burgers is, like, a sh- cook, owns a restaurant. Anyway. Michael McKean. Okay, the name. Okay. I was like, Michael McKean's the kind of person that would bring that over? Okay. I did look it up. I couldn't remember his name. Lorelai takes Suki upstairs, and Suki agrees that the bedroom set is horrible. Then Christopher, remember him, Rory's dad? He calls and starts leaving a message on the answering machine. Lorelai's like listening, like, what does Chris want? And then Luke walks in the room, and Lorelai quickly shuts off the machine. 
So now Luke is suspicious and upset that something secret with Christopher might be going on. Because if you remember, Lorelai had like a couple meetings with Christopher and didn't tell Luke about it. And he wasn't super excited about that. Well, also Christopher tried to break up their relationship and win Lorelai back. Yes. And so he's like, it's just a, it's a happenstance. I just happened to come in the first time in a year he's called you back. And then you just so happen to like turn off the machine like you're hiding something. So she's like, okay, let's talk about it. And he's like, no, we're not going to talk about it until these people are gone because that's rude. And she's like, okay, it's going to be ruder to like sit there and stew. Yeah, totally. I do see Luke's point of view here because of the stuff that's happened with Christopher. But I also am like, give Lorelai like a minute and you'll be fine. I think Lorelai also just needs to say like he literally has not called for a year. Right. It is sus that she stopped the call, and I get that it was just, like, reflex, that she didn't want to deal with it right now, and she probably totally would have told him later. But she was probably just instinctively trying to avoid him knowing about it right now so he didn't get mad while their friends were over. Right. Which This is one of those things where it's it's good writing because it's like, I see why Lorelai did that. I see why Luke is upset. But it was just like, God, this could be solved so easily if Lorelai's like, I haven't talked to him in a year. Let's listen to the message again together. I, I shouldn't have hit stop. Yeah. By the way, the message says that Christopher has good news of some sort. Yeah. But it starts with like, oh, hey, Lore. Wow, I haven't said that in a long time. I feel like that would have been like, oh, okay, Luke. Yeah, I don't think he heard that part. No, he didn't. But if they replayed it, Luke would have been like, oh, okay, well, Mm -hmm. I doubt he's just been seeing you and not calling you Lore. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they try to have dinner. Jackson is telling a nonsensical sounding story about Tomato George, a manure pile, and a bunch of extra fish heads. Luke has apparently burned the burgers, and Jackson's are better. This is another little detail that bothers me. Guys, I know this is like, people get mad at me, I think, for tearing apart the episodes sometimes. But these sequence of events that take place right now don't make sense. Why are Luke's burgers burnt? Luke knows how to cook burgers. He, like, works at a restaurant, cooks burgers every single day. Why did he burn the burgers? And it sounds like he burnt them really bad. I'm also confused because Jackson says he likes that the burgers are burnt. I thought that might have been him being passive-aggressive. But yeah, it didn't appear that way. He seemed like legitimately into them. What would have made sense is if Luke heard about Christopher, then burnt the burgers, because we found that Luke like burns food when he's upset. But he comes into the Christopher phone call saying that the burgers are done. Mm. So I almost wonder if that was like the intention, like he burnt them because he's upset, but like they already set up that they were done. But then also they have a big fight at the table. Lorelai gives the burger to Paulinka. But Paulinka only eats, like, almost raw burgers. They already made a big deal about that. Maybe Jackson's weren't burnt. Maybe. Also, did they all have both burgers and casserole? Yeah, it's a lot of food. Anyway, I'm sorry I picked apart the show, guys. I love the show so much. Because Jackson and Luke each had prepared a different type of burger. Yeah, so then Jackson is, like, trying to suss out why things seem very tense. And he's like, oh, it's because my burgers are better. And Luke's like, yeah, your burgers are better. See? I don't mind telling people things, no matter how uncomfortable it makes them feel. Which, again, is also confusing, because what you just said would not have made Jackson uncomfortable. (laughs) It would have made you uncomfortable, maybe. But eventually, Luke just blows up and just says to Lorelai, like, you know, I expect honesty from my fiancé. So Lorelai's like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, I hate your grandmother's bedroom set. It's super ugly. It's small. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Eventually, Jackson, like, picks up on the vibe. And it's pretty funny, because he's like, did I miss something? And Suki just says... Always, honey. <laughs> and then later, after Luke and Lorelai like storm off angrily, he says to Zuki, Is it because I brought up my meat rub? And she's like, Yes, it was. <laughs> so funny. 
Lorelai then goes to Luke's apartment where he's sulking. She's brought him some food. And she says, you know, when they're married, you won't be able to run off to your little clubhouse. And Luke's like, when we get married, gee, when is that going to be? So maybe that also gives us some more context for why Luke was upset. Because Lorelai keeps putting off setting a date for the marriage. So he's probably in this limbo, like, you tell me you love me, but, like, you won't set a date for our wedding. And there's weird Christopher stuff. Like, I just need to know, are we going to be together? Interesting. You also have a history of, like, saying you're going to marry someone and then leaving. So I I liked that line because it sets something up for later, but also is letting us know that, like, Luke has a lot going on, so maybe that's why he's maybe overreacting a little bit right now. Could be, yeah, or a lot on his mind. And if you guys don't remember, she is waiting to set the date for the wedding until Rory comes back. She just, like, just doesn't feel comfortable doing it. Luke calms down and says, you know, they have to be honest with each other about everything, even if it's uncomfortable. And he's like, no secrets. And she's like, no secrets. And they kiss. And I'm sure no one's going to have any more secrets from now on. Well, he also says that he's never going to be okay with Christopher being in her life. And she's like, that's well, true. that's kind of how it's going to be because he's Rory's dad. I can't just like not have a relationship with him. I mean, I guess Rory's an adult. She could cut Christopher off. And but I don't know. Rory's going to get married someday, probably. Christopher's going to be there. She can't avoid him. I mean, if Roy has kids, they have shared grandkids. Yeah, I, I don't think there's a way to cut Christopher off completely. Uh, also, Christopher isn't like a monster. Right. He's flawed, but he's not a monster. Yeah. He's kind of in love with Lorelai, so that's maybe something Luke doesn't want to deal with. But Right. I mean, she's only with Luke for now. That's my favorite line from Christopher. For now. Only because you saw that other edited version. Where he for now. <laughs> There's like a cut of a commercial for that episode where they used a different take and he says it like way more intensely. We'll see if we can find it. The Gilmore guys, I think, did the podcast on it and we, we watched it and they showed and Doug Benson explained that for the teasers or the commercials, they wanted these big dramatic scenes to really pop as like, oh, my God, this big confrontation. So they don't want nuance or subtlety. And so they would film separate versions of these that are heightened for the commercials. And this one is really silly. (laughs) For now, I'm doing a huge face. You can't see it, but you should watch the uh, other version. Okay, Rory, by the way, has a plan. She shows up at the Stanford Gazette to try to convince Stuart Woltz, the editor, to give her an interview for a job there. She says this is the perfect place for her to work. She's not worried about getting a job. She's sure she can get a job somewhere. But she wants to find the right place to get a job, and this is the right place. She already knows everybody there. She already knows how everything works. She gets along with people. She's like, this is the place I need to work. And he keeps insisting that, like, hey, he likes Rory, but they just don't have any openings right now. He'd have to fire Harry to hire her. And he goes on to say he doesn't even have the five minutes to, like, have an interview with her. She is very persistent, says, if you don't have time, that's fine. She can just wait. And then she just sits right back down. And he's like, okay, whatever, and then goes on with his day. So Rory then just hangs out for at least three more days, judging on her outfit changes. She just stays there trying to get an interview over and over again. The next day, she overhears Harry and Tom discussing an idea for a story and chimes in with some really helpful advice on, like, how to verify who the author of something is. Tom looks at I keep calling him Tom, but it's Stuart. Stuart thinks the idea is actually pretty good, and he thanks Rory for it, kind of reluctantly. And then she's like, no problem, boss. You're welcome, boss. And he's like, I'm not your boss. Stop calling me boss. <laughs> he's like, I don't have time to meet you. And she's like, no problem. I like this actor. There's just something about his face. He's interesting. Oh, yeah. He's great. Rory's plan is just persistence and to keep bugging him until he, like, finally breaks down and says yes. So she's there another day, and she gets coffee for the receptionist who says that Rory knows exactly how to make her coffee, and she also makes the best coffee. Rory's like, yeah, I've got a lot of experience, and I'm like, yeah, you do. You make it all the time. But I think this interaction was really to let us know that Rory does work well here and know how everything runs. He knows how the people work and what they like, even though Huntsberger told us as much. Mark Herlick. 
said actor's name. I like the idea of you just dropping in rando <laughs> actor names as we go. <laughs> but on this final day, Stuart comes out of his office, maybe angry at Rory because she went into his office and like left some of her materials. And he's like very annoyed with her. He's like, you know, I run this paper. And my office is private. Also, uh, I'll give you the interview now. I liked what I saw. <laughs> He's like, I'll give you five minutes. And he really stresses, like, you said you were going to be a bargain, right? She's like, yes, boss. You won't regret this, boss. Don't fire Harry. <laughs> this was really funny, and it was cute, and I, I liked I liked it. I liked that she got a job this way. You liked her tenacity? I did. I did. I, I mean, in some contexts, you might be like, this is too much. Like, you're, you're being – but he, did, he never, like, forces her to leave. Yeah, it did seem like a lot. So, like, either she's going to get a job or this guy's going to, like, fucking start screaming at her, get her escorted off the premises. But I think this is exactly what the show needed to do to show us that Huntsberger was wrong, right? Because Huntsberger's whole thing was, like, you're too passive. Like, you're not, you know, chiming in with what you need to say. Like, you're not aggressive enough. Sure. Like, we had that meeting and you wouldn't chime in. And this is, like, her being like, okay, well, I'm going to show the way to succeed is to be aggressive, and that's what she's doing here. She's like, hey, I've got, I need, you're going to give me a job. You're going to give me a job. Like, I deserve a job and I'm going to prove it to you because I am great. Which is like exactly what Huntsberger said to Richard. He was like, if she has what it takes, she'll bounce back. And here she is bouncing back. It's kind of interesting because it's almost like she's, the stuff that Huntsberger said, which was painful and hurtful and like threw her life into wreckage, actually is sort of like helping her right now. So maybe Huntsberger was right. Hey, I don't know, man. He might have been. I, I don't want to defend this guy because I'm sure we're going to find out he's like a murderer or something. But like, in a sense, it's probably going to end up making her a better journalist. Maybe that's what he wanted. I doubt it. But that'd be a great reveal. All along, Rory. I was molding you. He's got like a magician's outfit on for some reason. <laughs> Just appears in a cloud of smoke. Rory, you have did it. It's like Willy Wonka. <laughs> you win. You Good get day, everything. <laughs> I did a reverse Willy Wonka there. So she's getting a job at this place. It's great. How is this guy going to fit her in, though? It sounded like he really did not have a job. Well, we find out later that she's going to get paid, like, zero money. So Yeah. So everything seems to be going great, right? Rory's getting back on track. She's got a job. Luke and Lorelai made up. But then there's a wrench. The big wrench. The next day at Luke's diner, he is super busy when a strange young girl walks in wearing, like, a self-designed giant bicycle helmet thing it's like a whole contraption she walks in to talk to luke but he's in a real big rush and he's like whatever what are you wearing what is that so she sits down luke is like already annoyed with her because of like her helmet and the fact that she's bothering him during his like busy hours she explains to luke that she is really trying to win the science fair coming up she's got a great idea where she gets the hair of three different men and she runs dna tests on it herself to figure out which of those three men are her father and she would like some of Luke's hair. The implication, of course, being that Luke might be her father. So he's all like, wait, huh, what? And she grabs some of his hair and just, like, leaves. She, by the way, seems much more interested in winning the science fair than in, like, really determining who her father is. Right. Just on first glance, it seems that she's, like, a real big, like, nerdy girl, like, very smart, like Rory, but also maybe not socially super adept. Right. Uh, so this is going to be interesting. Also, fuck all these people in his diner right now. Yeah. Everyone's got like a weird order. This guy wants a Cobb salad that's not a Cobb salad. Yeah, he's like, uh, like a Cobb salad, no Cobb. Yeah, that's how Luke orders it from Caesar. He's like, Cobb salad, no Cobb, just turkey. Just order a side salad with turkey on it. Idiot. 
And also, there's a woman at the bar who gets her burger. She's like, this isn't rare, medium rare. This is more like just rare. I'm like, for one, you don't even look at it. The bun is closed. For two, I hate when people order that way. Medium rare is a thing because it's between medium and rare. There's no in between rare and medium rare. Like, right. you can't get that precise. But also, then Caesar gives her a rare burger again. He's like, rare burger. Yeah, right. She's like, okay, so do you do nothing? The woman that wanted onions was fine. So Luke goes to the science fair to find out that this girl, April, that's her name, got second place, unfortunately. And also, just looking at the project, that he is indeed her father. According to science, at least. It's funny because there's like a picture of three dads, two of them crossed out. But all of the photos are like candid photos of the guy like looking at the camera like, what's going on? Yeah, because she just like yanks Luke's hair out and takes his picture. She probably did the same to all of them. Yeah. So Luke is sort of like tongue-tied here. He's kind of like, huh, what, uh, huh, what, so I'm your dad, huh? He finds out her mom is Anna Nardini. We don't know her, but he knows that that means April's got to be about 12 because that's about the last time he saw Anna. He's got a bit of a panic attack here. He doesn't know how to interact with people normally, let alone, like, his newly found daughter. This is all very cute, though. I feel like the actor that plays Luke does a really good job of, like, showing that he's not quite sure what to do, but he wants to be positive and, like, this is his daughter, but he doesn't know how to say words right now. Yeah, he, like, needs to sit down. Yeah. And someone walks by, and he's like, yep, that's me. (laughs) And he points at the picture. He says he'll read her paper on the project and talk to her later about it. She's like, cool. Again, it seems to me that, like, April is, like, You don't seem like a bad dude, but, like, you know, I don't need a father right now. Yeah, he even says, like, I didn't know about you. If I did, I would have. She's like, I know. She's not, like, upset that he was not her dad for 12 years. Right. You can tell he feels guilty, but, like, she doesn't seem to hold this against him because, obviously, her mom never reached out to him. Mm -hmm. There's a comment she makes about the project that did win. It was, like, a solar-powered pizza oven or something. Yeah. And she says, environmentalism is very in right now, almost with, like, an eye roll. But I'm like, I feel like if this was... Current, this character would be very pro-environment. Sure. She seems like a little liberal hippie child. Well, I mean, I think her point was just like, which is actually more impressive? And like a pizza maker, she says it's all political. Like the DNA tests are probably like a lot more science than the solar-powered pizza oven. Yeah, perhaps. I totally hear what you're saying. I don't know. If this kid made a solar-powered pizza oven, her uncle just ran a DNA test for her. No, that's not true. Well, he walked her through it. No, he just watched her do it. How hard can it be? I I would have no idea how to do a DNA test. I guess my point is it's already like been invented how to run a DNA test. She didn't like come up with a new procedure for how to do that. Sure. I'm not trying to say she's not smart. Sounds like you don't like April. So I'm excited to see what happens there. I don't dislike April. I think the actress does a very good job too. I think she does like the dialogue of the show quite well. They've obviously written her Gilmore Girls dialogue style, but I, I feel like the actress plays it well. Yeah. I think she was like a fan of the show from what I can remember. At the end, Michelle tells Lorelai that someone called about a reference for Rory, and he reluctantly said nice things about her being a hard worker, despite the fact that Rory a couple times sat in his chair. <laughs> He's like, I didn't tell her that they, she stole stamps and sometimes sat in my chair. <laughs> I would love the idea of calling someone for a reference, and they're like, she's a pretty good worker, but, you know, sometimes she'll sit in your chair. Keep that in mind. So now Lorelai knows that, like, Rory's getting a job somewhere? Then Richard calls Lorelai in a panic. He just got back from his trip and can't find Emily anywhere. And he's like, where is he? He's freaking out. So now Lorelai starts to freak out. Rory's moved out and is looking for a job. And she doesn't have Rory's cell phone number anymore. And now Emily's missing and Richard's a basket case. She's got a lot in her plate suddenly. She doesn't even want coffee. Yeah. And Suki's like, okay, that's your choice. Like, (laughs) like, what? 
So Lorelai goes to Lane to look for Rory. Zach is there, and he gives Lorelai shit for Rory, like, maybe using some of their dish soap and their sponges. And Lorelai's like, listen, I let you practice in my garage for, like, three years rent-free. I'll give you, like, 40 bucks right now to pay for Rory's stuff if you want to give me, like, a grand or two for all the time you practiced at my space. And he's all like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing around, and I'm just joking. I hate you, Zach. I hate you so much. Emily calls Lorelai back, and then Lorelai meets up with Emily at a tarmac somewhere. Emily's apparently buying a plane, a timeshare plane. Emily's having, like, a mini life crisis right now. She wants to buy the plane to, like, deal emotionally with Rory abandoning her. She starts to, like, break down on the plane. She's upset that Rory's leaving, and it's kind of like a replay of the events that happened with Lorelai. She keeps saying to Lorelai, like, you would have been so proud of your daughter, the way she was so defiant when she said these things to me, and the way she just, like, left the house without even saying a word to me. You would have been so proud of your daughter. And then she's just talking about how upset she is that she lost Rory just like she lost Lorelai. And Lorelai's like, well, listen, you were never meant to have Rory. This was just like a hiccup in her life. All this stuff was temporary. She was always going to leave. You didn't lose Rory. And then as she's like leaving the plane, she's like, you also didn't lose me. But I'm like, yeah, you kind of did, though. I I guess they're fine now, but. She did lose her for quite a period of time. She lost her for a long time. But then also like. A half a season ago, you told your mom that you were done, and then you didn't talk to her for several months. She maybe was just saying that to cheer her up. I feel like she does have a soft spot when her mom gets emotional. I know. I just want to be like, hey, Lorelai, she's a monster. Just You don't have to feel bad for her. Don't feel bad for Emily. <laughs> don't feel bad for Taylor or Emily ever. Or Zach. Or Zach. It's interesting, though, because Emily at some point yells at Lorelai, because Lorelai's trying to talk her out of buying this plane. She's just, let me be shallow. Let me buy a plane. She obviously wants to, like, deal with her emotions. And Lorelai's like, okay, buy a plane. Great. I mean, what the hell do you need a timeshare plane for? But, like, fine. I almost wonder if this was edited in a different order than they wrote it. Because Lorelai specifically says she was always supposed to be at school. She just went back where she belonged. But Lorelai doesn't know that Rory's going back to school yet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a world where this scene could have been after the scene where Rory comes back and they decided it was better to put that at the end. Because I, yeah, I, mean, I could see the episode ending on this scene. Yeah. It felt a little weird. Because Lorelai has no idea she's going back to school or thinking about going back to school at this point. She knows she left her parents' house, so maybe she suspects she's on the right track. It didn't bother me because in my head, Lorelai's like, yeah, Rory will go back to Yale. I'm already planning on setting my wedding only after she's decided to go back to Yale, so. Yeah, but she says, like, past tense. Like, she just went back where she belonged. Right, yeah. Maybe she had read the script because in the next scene, Lorelai is at home. She gets a call from Rory. Almost like she's expecting the call. She's like yeah. trying to figure out what to do with herself until the phone rings. Yeah. And uh, this phone call is just Rory solving all of her problems at once. She's like, I got a job with the paper. I called Yale off screen and I'm going back. They're totally fine with it. And this is what I want. No one's forcing me to do this. Also, I'm home. She pulls up in the driveway and the two girls embrace. Lorelai like throws her phone in the yard and like hugs Rory. Rory apologizes. She's like, oh, so dumb. I'm so sorry. And Lorelai's also apologizing and all is well. Lorelai then runs over to Luke's. And, you know, some people watching this scene might tear up. I don't know who, but like some people might. We both teared up. It was so nice. Yeah, it's hard not to tear up when the girls reunite. It's I knew it's it was nice. coming, but. Aww. It was sweet. It was very sweet. I love seeing them happy. You pointed out it's funny that Paul Anka doesn't fetch. Like, when Lorelai's trying to figure out what to do, she, like, yeah. throws the ball and the dog doesn't go for it. So either they trained him not to fetch or they never trained him to fetch. 
Yeah, it's. I just love thinking about these dogs that are like actor dog because she's like, go fetch, and the dog doesn't. But it's so clear the dog's like, okay, I'm being told not to fetch, so I won't. Okay. Someone just told him to stay right before that. Yeah, it's dog's like, I'm a professional actor. I can I can take two directions at once. Um, <laughs> so my character's a dumb dog, though. Um, <laughs> Lorelai runs over to Luke's to tell him all the good news and is like, you got to make her a bunch of fries. Don't skimp on them. We don't want to lose Rory twice. We're going to have like a movie marathon. She starts like loading up donuts. But then she says to Luke that they can do it. Rory's back so they can finally set a wedding date, which is like great news. It's great news, right? Luke already mentioned early in this episode that that was bothering him. And then he kind of turns around and like looks off in the distance. And we can tell he's like, everything's great. But like, I was maybe going to tell you about some stuff going on in my life right now. And it's clear he's thinking about April. Yeah. When she walks in there, he's just like kind of wiping a table, staring yeah. into the distance. Dude's got a lot going on right now. Yeah. So. So I wonder if he wasn't going to tell Lorelai the next time he saw her. But then it was like, oh, you got this Rory reunion? Maybe I'll sit on this for a minute. Right. This whole episode had been about Luke being like, you got to be honest. You've got no secrets. But this last scene seems to me like, well, maybe I'm going to have a little bit of a secret right now. Yeah, I mean, it definitely like wasn't the time to tell her. But yes, I do think it's fair for him to not tell her like right away. Totally. I feel like it's fair to have 24 hours to digest the fact that you have a daughter before you decide what to say or how you even feel about it. Like, yeah, because it's like maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm not going to see her again. I haven't seen her before. Why should I see her? Yeah, and when you tell Lorelai, you might be like, yeah, I've thought about it, and I you know, I don't think I want to be part of her life. Or, you know, I, I'm actually going to reach out to her and see if I can be part of her. You know, like, I feel like it's fine that he can have a day to figure this out. I feel like this is going to be a secret that's more than a day, though, just for the way they set this up. But we'll see. Tom Hanks. <laughs> so, Stacey, do you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's a good one. That, that reunion that is so beautiful. reunion is great, yeah. The stuff with Rory was really cute, like her going after that job. Yes, that was all great. Was Although fun. her decision to go back to school happened off screen. Yeah. I don't know. We, I wish I would, we would have seen her process a bit more other than just going after the job. Yeah. It was presented as if she's like, I'm just going to go into the workforce. I don't need Yale. Yeah. The Yale thing is just like a quick comment to her mom. And this is all because Jess was like, you should go back to Yale. And then she's like, I mean, he doesn't say that, but he's like, what are you not doing at Yale? What's wrong with you? And then she's like, oh, yeah, I guess Jess is right. I got to get my fucking life together. Yeah. Also, like the storyline or not, it's interesting drama to find out that Lou has a daughter. Yeah, totally. Fun fact, you made a joke forever ago that Paris was Luke's daughter. And I was like, you think Luke has a daughter or something like that? That's funny. Something like that. A little wink, wink to the audience. Yes. Yeah, so I was just like, so you're saying you think Luke has a daughter? That's insane, Brian. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's insane. Basically, if I knew what episode it was, I would play the tape right now, but I don't. We put this on tapes? Yeah. That's why it takes me so long to edit. (laughs) Just snipping footage. The fight with Lorelai and Luke at dinner was like, I don't know. They were being a lot, and it is weird to fight in front of guests, but I get why it came out the way it did. Yeah. Because it was either stew or have the fight. Well, it's so interesting, right? Because like, in a show like this, we're watching them from the outside and we're like, they're both being stupid. Luke maybe especially is being stupid. But like the couples have stupid fights. Like, honestly, I think and I've said this on the podcast before, like I would say almost a majority of our fights are just because like we didn't hear each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, people fight about stupid shit. So it's it's pretty real, even though it seems like contrived and dumb. Like, man, people fight about stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Every every scene was was good. Like Richard with Colin and Finn was funny. Yeah. I kind of liked Richard freaking out. Yeah. 
Emily's little plane tantrum was like good acting, at least. And I don't know. I, I like when her and Lorelai's bad relationship gets talked about. Mm-hmm. When she's vulnerable, it's it's enjoyable to watch. Crocodile tears. And I'm interested to see what happens with April. You know what happens with April. I know. I'm interested for you to see what happens with April. Does she hook up with Logan? Yeah, that makes sense. Wow, it'd be interesting if she dated Dean, because then that would make Luke upset, but also make Rory upset, but also their height difference would be pretty crazy. Also the age thing. Uh, That's what I'm going to guess is going to happen. All right, should we move on? Let's move on to a special segment we like to call Meanwhile Uncharmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us have seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Brian... What happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed, Season 6, Episode 9, Little Monsters, the sisters kill a manticore and find her baby while trying to decide what to do with the human-looking infant demon. They have to fight other manticores and a mysterious beast. Also, Paige helps Daryl out magically. There's a lot going on in the subtext of this. Beast is capitalized for some yeah, reason. Yeah, I, I double-checked all the punctuation on this, and it is all correct. Beast is capitalized. Paige helps Daryl out. Helps is in like in quotations. quotations. Yeah. Also, it's the sisters kill a manticore, dot, 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 and find her baby. <laughs> Where do we want to start with this? Okay, so I just Googled manticore. That's a good place to start. It's a beast, lowercase b, a beast <laughs> with the body of a lion, usually red. So it says. The tail of a scorpion and the head slash face of a man and a mouth filled with multiple rows of sharp teeth like a shark. Wow. Said to be able to shoot spikes from its tail or mane to paralyze prey. Tail or mane? Pick one, Manticore. What I want to know is like, was this CGI? Was this a dude in a costume on the show? This doesn't look like a, an easy thing to bring to life on screen. Like, I'm going to guess this was claymation, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they kill a Manticore. Yeah. He's just on the front porch. They open the door to get the paper, and they're like, oh, gosh, what? No. What are no, you doing here? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you making a heat? Yeah, it's, I know. We got to go her back. baby. <laughs> it's it's a lady core, first of all. Yes. A woman-to-core. She, and she's her baby. out on the front porch. A shant-to-core. I don't know. It's, there's a lady manticore. Well, manticore, I think, was correct. They stomp it out. They're like, well, we can't be dealing with that. Are they lion-sized or are they scorpion-sized? <laughs> if they're scorpion-sized, this is not as big a deal. But I think they're like lion-sized. Okay, they still stomp it out. They st- it's, is it a fire? Yeah. <laughs> they stomp it out? Okay. Stomp it like you'd stomp on a spider. Right. But it turns out she was there to leave her baby. Well, so they just killed an innocent manticore? Um, well, she wasn't innocent. She uh, Okay, she had done bad things. <laughs> yeah. And she was on her way to do more bad stuff, which she yes, left a like, note. Oh, I got to go kill some other babies. Who's mine? I'm going to drop it off here. She left a note about all this, which they read after they stomped her out, but they didn't feel Oh, bad. thank God. If this note had been pleasant things, I would feel guilty. <laughs> but the infant demon hasn't developed its lion and shark and scorpion parts yet. It just looks like a baby. Right. Wyatt loves it. Who's Wyatt? Piper's baby. Right. Obviously, I was testing you. Thank you. He's not a baby anymore. But. All right, so I just, I can't get over this. So they open the door. There's like a lion-sized creature, and they all are like, all right, let's stomp on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's I guess a lot they of can, other stuff to deal with in this episode. They They're can like just... levitate, I guess, with magic so they could get some real stompings uh, in. Okay. I mean, they all go at it. Yeah. Andy comes out and helps. Leo's probably there. Okay. But then other manticores come. Yes, because this baby was a special baby. How many special babies are on this fucking show? <laughs> 
It's like a special baby every episode. The show could have been called Special Babies. The stomped manticore wasn't a big deal. They all hated that one. Yeah. But the other manticores and this other beast, capital B, are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You humans can't just have this baby, even though it looks human. Nah. Nah, nah, nah. So they're showing up to try to get this baby back. Bunch of manticores. Unfortunately, the girls, they really fucked up their shoes when they stomped up that first manticore. So they're like, uh, we're not going to be able to stomp all of them. Especially this beast. No, I mean, it was like five against one for the first one. But now there's like six manticores. Who are the five? There's three sisters. I said Andy and Leo came out. You did. And Leo's got extra feet. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not hard with the extra feet. By the way, this mysterious beast has the body of a penguin. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Sexy body. The head of a porcupine. And you can tell that Stacey's not just making this up as she goes. This is, you know, true. And the tail. Yeah. Oh, you tell him, Brian. The tail of an ankylosaurus. Is that the one with like the, what does that tail look? looks like two testicles on the end of his tail, but they're like very hard. That sounds like a beast with a capital B to me. (laughs) So they do not beat the manticores and the beast. They take the baby. They're like, that's fine. We got our own baby. Have at it. Wait, so they just give the baby to the manticores and the beast? Well, I mean, they put up a fight, but at some point they realize, like, what are we doing? You guys are going to take good care of this baby. It's like, you're a prophecy baby. We don't need it. Right. We've already got our own prophecy baby, so. And listen, we don't want to ruin our shoes anymore. Who is (laughs) Daryl? This sounds so sketched. Paige helps Daryl out magically. Daryl is the name of the beast. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. He's like, ah, yeah, I'm Daryl. Listen, guys, I have uh, an issue. Um, I've got a thorn in my paw, and I can't get it out. <laughs> he wasn't even there for the manticore fight. He just happened to show up looking for help. And got right. And he was mysterious until he said his name. And they're like, oh, it's just a guy named Daryl. Well, a beast named Daryl. The manticores all leave. Daryl's still chilling. They're like, what? Go. And he's like, no. Uh, by the way, he has paws. I, we, I mentioned <laughs> he's, got, he's got a penguin body, but he's got paws. Paws of kittens. Paws of kitten, kitten paws. So Paige just like magically removes the thorns from his paw and um, he kind of just stays hanging out on the porch. Yeah. Pa- he's cute. But he keeps saying like, thank you so much. You helped me. And she's like, yeah, I really I helped you so much. Just pulled a thorn out of your little kitten paw. It wasn't hard. I feel like Daryl's going to be back. Yeah. Well, I mean, he hasn't left yet. He's still just sitting on the porch. But uh, right. Paige, Paige kind of likes him. Yeah. Likes in quotations. <laughs> That's the whole episode. Yeah. Excited to see what happens to this manticore. Not Well, he's not a manticore. He's a beast. Yeah. Daryl the capital beast. This is Ben. Meanwhile on Charmed. What a wild Charmed that was. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, now we're going to talk about Buffy. Stacy, can you tell us all about Smashed? Yes. This episode is about Amy the Rat's return, which is fortunate for Willow because there's a void in her life and she fills it with magical adventures with Amy the Rat. It's also about Buffy trying to fill some of her voids. Whoa. We'll get to that. Yeah. So it opens on Buffy interrupting just a regular human mugging. She's like, huh, it's kind of cute. Yeah, I kind of like it. It's really funny. But she's like, oh, yeah, humans. (laughs) She breaks it up. The victims run away. She's like kind of having fun messing with the muggers. She's like, come on, charge me. It'll be funny. (laughs) So she's having fun when Spike comes flying in to attack one of them, not realizing they were human. So now his head hurts. This scene's really just to remind us the deal yep. with the chip in Spike's yep. head. 100%. <laughs> like, they sort of just lay out all the rules of that, that he can hit demons, can't hit humans. Okay, we remember. Thank you. Remember, he's got the chip, guys. 
Like, it's pretty well done, but at the same time, it's well done exposition. Yes. She tells him he'll just have to get his rocks off fighting demons. And he's like, well, there's other ways. Buffy's like, yeah, I don't want to touch that right now. Bye. Pretending like they haven't been making out a bunch lately. Right. He calls her a tease and says pretty soon she's going to realize he's the only one there for her. Then we see Andrew mission impossibling into a museum, just like in the episode where Buffy gets lowered down into the mayor's office. Yeah. Like on a cord. Yeah. But then Warren and Andrew show up behind him being like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is Sunnydale Museum. You can just walk in and take shit. Yeah. We know the security guard. <laughs> then Warren uses a, like a methane tank, I think, to burn a hole in this glass casing and steals this giant diamond. It does seem like this place should have some security. Like, what? You, you should just be able to steal a diamond. Why is this on display? Is this a museum? What is this place? Yeah, it's like a museum, and there's just like the oldest one guard in the world. Like, no one would want to steal stuff. There's a lot of bad things happen in Sunnydale. Yeah. I think security be beefed up. I also don't know that there's like just a diamond on display in a museum. That's like in a right. bank vault somewhere. This is like a cartoon heist. Well, the security guard, Rusty, eventually shows up. He's like, don't. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's not. He's just like very old. Yeah. They, like, lie and say they were the tour group that got lost. Whatever. And then they use a freeze ray on him. Is this even possible? Maybe it I is mean, no. possible to make a freeze ray, but it would definitely kill the guy, depending on how thick yeah. the ice is. Oh, yeah. Like, when you, I mean, who cares, guys? But, like, if you freeze, like, you're going to break the cells that are full of water. Like, there's a reason we can't cryogenically freeze. We can cryogenically freeze people, but we have not figured out how to undo that without them dying. So... Well, imagine what you're thinking a freeze ray is. That's what they do. It's just yeah. goop all over this guy. He's frozen. Willow is sad and alone at home and seems like Amy the rat wants to play. So she gets her out and puts her on the bed. Has Amy's cage been in the bedroom all along? I kind of don't think so. I have seen it in some episodes, but not every episode. I guess you knew it was there. I have not thought about Amy the rat this season at all. So I don't remember clocking the cage. I remember noticing it in Willow's dorm last season, even when they weren't like acknowledging her. It also seems kind of wild that Willow hasn't figured out how to bring her back yet. Like she brought someone back from the dead. Yeah, absolutely. And people have pointed this out. It's insane. It's like, yeah, I brought someone back from the dead. But like, how do I unwrap someone? Like, that's got to be a much simpler spell. Like she accidentally did it once. Yeah. Maybe she's just been busy and hasn't really thought about Amy that much, but she's always there. They got to like feed her. You'd think she would think about it every day. Absolutely. It's pretty dumb that Willow's supposed to be this strong and she hasn't been able to fix it. And then she kind of realizes how suddenly, or at least like realizes she can do a spell where she can conjure a page from a book that she needs. Yeah. I don't exactly know what she did, but she like says something, a page appears, she reads some words. Amy turns back into a human naked on the bed and she screams. They get her dressed, but she's very on edge. She says everything feels weird. Like She was in that cage for weeks. Willow's like, oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, honey, we've got so much to tell you. <laughs> but Amy's confident that things are going to be okay. Prom's coming up, and she's pretty sure Larry's going to ask her. Willow's like, oh, honey. <laughs> honey. <laughs> Number that one. That was so funny. <laughs> Larry's gay. Number two, Larry's dead. <laughs> Number three, high school's... Been done for a minute now. <laughs> yeah. High school's kind of dead, to be honest. Yeah. And then she off screen has to break the news that Snyder's dead, which it must have been devastating oh, for her. Yeah. She loved Snyder. Everyone did. <laughs> Amy demands to know how long it's been. We don't hear Willow's answer. 
it kind of cuts forward in time a bit. Buffy's coming home and wants to talk. Seems like she's going to confess to Willow about her recent fling with Spike, but they're interrupted by Amy coming out of the bathroom. She's been in there processing that the school was destroyed by a giant snake. It's weird that Willow isn't like, someone's in the bathroom. Maybe don't tell me your deepest, darkest secrets right now. (laughs) But Buffy's like, oh, hey, how have you been? Amy's like, rat, you. And Buffy's like, dead. That was funny. I just like Amy's reaction, like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Things are weird in this town. Yeah. Amy goes downstairs to find any kind of cookies that aren't cheese. Willow says she's not really sure if Amy's going to be okay, but it's nice to have another magically inclined friend around. And then ask Buffy what she was going to tell her, but Buffy's like, yeah, never mind. It's clear she was going to talk about Spike, right? Yeah, that's what I assumed. Because she starts talking about how people make mistakes and stuff. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Buffy goes downstairs where Amy's watching TV. Did you hear the commercial? No. When Buffy first goes down there, the TV is saying like, now you get two double meat medleys for the price of one. Oh, double meat. I know there's an episode called Double Meat Palace, which I assume is a fast food place in this reality. Yeah, so I didn't realize they set that up. That's interesting. Yeah. Amy starts listing off all the wild stuff that's happened since she left. Willow's dating girls. People are getting frozen. Tom and Nicole. <laughs> Buffy's like, wait, wait, what? What's that people getting frozen bit that you said? Well, let me. Let me tell you about it, because <laughs> yes. I tell you about it in the show. <laughs> and then Amy turns up the TV where Brian Morris is reporting live from the museum. I don't remember. I don't know that I clocked this. The reporter's name is Brian Morris, yeah. which is my name. It's not like a crazy name, but it's not a common name. So it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's a totally normal name for a random tv news anchor to have it's two common names put together but also i feel like it's funny that the show told us his full name i feel like they don't yes reporters do do that but not all the time so it was a weird confluence of events no i think they say their names generally you've encountered a lot of brian morris's the guy that sold us my car was named brian morris yes that's true i think spelled the same there was another comedian in new york city called brian morris it's funny because he's like polar opposite of me as far as comedy goes and he was uh, on a couple shows, and occasionally I'd get tagged like on social media as like doing some show, and I'd be like, I'm not doing that show? What? Is his spelled the same as yours, too? No, but people would misspell my name all the time and his name all the time. There's also Brian Morris sells shitty houses. Yeah. The person that owns brianmorris.com is a realtor, and Brian really wanted brianmorris.com for his comedy, and this guy wouldn't give it to him. Because if you go to brianmorris.com, it reroutes you to this guy's actual realtor website. So he's not really using it. I mean, he's using it to like, oh, go to brianmores.com and then just reroutes you to a different website. And so I emailed the guy about it and he was not receptive to selling me the website. So I bought brianmoressellsshittyhomes.com and I started Googling it a lot because my hope was to like have it rise up. It would be one of the first results if you Google Brian Morris and then offered to sell him that website. Do you still have it? I don't think I still have it. I mean, it was spiteful and it was kind of just a joke, but... um I did for a while own Brian Morris sells shitty homes.com. And when you went to the website, it was a picture of me and it was said specifically this Brian. And that was so that I wouldn't get sued for libel or slander because <laughs> it's like I'm talking about myself. Funnily enough, the only other Stacey Kulo that I've noticed on the Internet is a news reporter. Oh, interesting. Or what, I think she no longer does it. I'm sorry. We're way off track, guys. This is my fault. But isn't, that's weird. That, that's how we got started. It is weird. We're back. We're back on track. So Buffy goes down to the museum where the frozen guard is being wheeled out on a dolly. She slips off into the darkness where Spike is. He still wants to get to the bottom of what these kisses are all about. 
Buffy's like, I'm sorry if you thought they meant something, but when I kiss you, you know I was thinking about Giles, right? Spike's like, you know, I always wondered about you too. <laughs> to be fair to Spike, Buffy phrased that terribly. There's no yeah. other way to take what she said. Yeah. She's like, what? No. I mean, I was sad about him leaving, so I was in a vulnerable mood and made the bad decision of kissing you. That's all it was. Forget about it. He's like, cool. Keep telling yourself that. I know you're going to come around, though. A man can change. She's like, you're not a man. You're a thing. She tries to walk away, but he grabs her. She doesn't like that, so she punches him. He punches her back, knocking her down. But then he realizes his head doesn't hurt. Yeah, interesting. Then quickly realizes he better pretend it do. So she hits him again and leaves, but not before reminding him that he's an evil, disgusting thing again. Spike's like, evil grin. Yes, I am. What's this new discovery? I can hit people? He doesn't say all that, but it's all in the evil grin. I'm thinking Buffy hit him so hard she knocked the chip loose. Or maybe the chip, like, dies eventually? We'll see. Spike heads to town. He seems excited to be a bad, bad vampire again. He finds a delicious-looking girl who he follows into an alley, and he kind of rants to her about his relationship dynamics with Buffy. <laughs> yeah. She's like, show her. I can do whatever I want. Blah, blah, blah. He's trying to convince this woman and himself that he's an evil, evil boy who kills, and he's going to kill her right now. Here I go. Seems like he doesn't really want to do it, but he, he does. He goes to bite her. But now it does hurt him? What the hell? What is going on? I think it bears repeating that, like, the show really tries to humanize Spike in the previous season. Mm-hmm. And this season as well. But I feel like this season they try, they do helpfully, I think, try to remind us that he is evil. Yeah. Like, before he's like, yeah, I'm evil. But, like, it's like, yeah, but, like, you're, you're telling that showing because he can't. But I feel like this episode is trying to remind us, like, yeah, he, he wants to kill people, guys. Like, we get that he's a sex symbol, but, like, he is evil. <laughs> like, he isn't, like, a bad boy. He's, like, an evil boy. There's a difference. Yeah. He does seem a little reluctant, though. But it might just be, like, because it's awkward and he hasn't done it in a while. Yeah. I think part of it's, like, he's, like, am I betraying Buffy? Right. Yeah, like, will this hurt any chance I have with her if she finds out I ate someone again? Exactly. Because I think if Buffy was like, yeah, kill people, he'd be like, fantastic, great, love it, I'm going to kill people now. But I think he's like a little bit reluctant, not because he feels bad, but because exactly what you said. This might ruin his chances with Buffy. Tara's on a date with Dawn. She sure got over Willow fast. (laughs) They're like out for milkshakes after a movie. Well, Dawn's out for milkshake. Tara's just judging her for her big, big milkshake. So Dawn's sipping her giant shake when Tara's like, you know I'll always be there for you, right? (laughs) Just like says it out of nowhere. She admits she practiced it better at home. And they kind of chat a little about how they're still cool despite the breakup. And Dawn tells her that Willow's been a little more careful lately. She's like, cool, cool. I didn't ask, but I did want to know. So thank you. Yeah. And if you have more info on her, go ahead. Just share it. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep talking about it. I'm not going to ask. But like, how is she? Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Anya are at the magic shop trying to figure out the demon that freeze raised people. Anya's annoyed because Giles took one of his books with him that she wanted to research in. They ponder calling him, but Willow pulls out her computer, seeming like she's going to hack into something. But instead, she, like, mind melds with the internet and taps into the police database with her brain? What the fuck is this now? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a misdirect, right? Because they're all like, oh, you haven't done that in a long time. Like, you're going to... And it's like, nah, I'm, I'm magic hacking. <laughs> she just, like, hovers her hands over her computer and then, like, I don't know, is, like, seeing stuff in her brain. Yeah, it's so weird to think that back then in the early 2000s, this was, like, magic. And this is just how we surf the internet now. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be funny if we did? <laughs> yeah. 
Because they could almost see, like, not too far in the future there being some kind of chip where you do sort of... Right, if you hit a chip, like, in your hands or something. Yeah. So maybe we'll be laughing at ourselves eventually. Xander tries to not so subtly tell her to stop. And then even less subtly, Anya's like, hey, we all feel weird around you because Tara left you for doing too much magic and you're kind of doing a lot of magic still and everyone's too scared to say anything about it except me because I don't have a filter. Xander pointed that out to me. (laughs) That's basically what she says. Yeah. Willow's like, guys, it's fine. Things have been a little rough, but it's better this way. Little things that we didn't agree on got blown out of proportion and this time away is going to help us sort through all that. I don't know. You're kind of downplaying that, Willow. Yeah. So Willow goes home where Amy is wanting to go out. She's supposed to go see her dad, but she's not quite sure how to tell him about all this yet. She wishes there was a way she could make him forget about the last three years. Willow's like, well, I could maybe help you with that. You might want to sew your name into your clothes or something first. That was a fun reference to the last episode. Yeah, it was a fun callback. But Amy convinces Willow to go out with her. After they leave, Tara brings Dawn home, but no one's there. Dawn convinces Tara to stay and wait for Willow and the others to get back from research. And Tara's like, fine, but only to make sure you're okay, not for any other reason, like getting a glimpse of Willow. But don't get your hopes up, Tara. Willow is out on the town. Willow and Amy are playing telekinetic pool with the bronze. That's kind of fun. Yeah. And these two guys come up to them looking for a little double date grinding action. They want to dance. Willow's like, no, I'm good. You go. Amy's like, oh, right, you're gay. I could just mind control one of those lesbians over there into dancing with you if you want. And she does. One of them comes over and introduces herself as Brie. Interesting, Amy chose a girl with a cheese name. (laughs) That's funny. I hadn't thought of that. (laughs) But Willow kind of starts freaking out. She's not ready to be flirty with someone else yet. It's funny because Amy sets the girl right, but the girl that she had been talking to at the bar is like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Did you just (laughs) go up and start flirting with another girl? So Amy goes to dance with the two guys. What is their plan? Are they just going to both dance with her until she picks one? I mean, why does she have to pick one? Uh, Well, we'll get there. Willow turns her attention to a martini, which is a very 21-year-old drink. It's not. (laughs) I feel like college kids don't drink, like, vodka martinis with olives. Sure. Amy comes over to chat with her, and then the guys get, like, very aggressive about how she's not still dancing with them. They're like, you can't just get us worked up like that. Again, are they both going to sleep with her? Maybe, but I, I feel like these guys need to take a second to talk among themselves to figure out how this is going to go. Maybe they're looking for a boy-boy girl. I mean, it's Sunnydale. There's a hellmouth. The best threesome is the devil's threesome. That's what Harmony was hoping for. Yeah. Willow stands up for Amy. They're like, who has you, Ellen? Ooh, sick burn. <laughs> yeah, what a great burn. You think they mean because she's gay, or do you think they mean she doesn't treat her staff well? It's funny. I mean, it what a stupid burn also. And like, do they know she's a lesbian? Because a girl talked to her for a second. Was Amy on the dance floor like, so my friend over there is a lesbian. Well, Amy does say like, oh, I could get someone more your style or something like that. Yeah. She might have explained to them that Will is a lesbian. Yeah. That, yeah. They probably were like, hey, so there's two of us. One of you was with your girlfriend. And she's like, oh, she's a lesbian. They're like, OK, well, we got to figure this out then. Yeah. Ellen's the only gay person they've ever heard of. Yeah. It's just, like, such a weird, like, insult, too. Just, like, referencing another gay person. (laughs) Yeah, and just, like, this famous woman who's doing very well. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, shut up, most successful gay person at the moment. Yeah. I don't know that that's true, actually, but... uh, Yeah, I don't know where Ellen was in her timeline. She actually had a really hard time after she came out. Right, but also there might be people who are gay that are more successful than Ellen if we go through... I mean, they may not be out as gay. It doesn't matter. I feel like Ellen came out in the 90s, though, but I'm not sure. Ellen, by the way, guys, just a side note, 
I'm not weighing in on the way Ellen treats her staff or her morning show or whatever. I don't care about any of that. But I will say this. Afternoon. Ellen's stand-up is fantastic. Yeah. Like, her stand-up is so clever and funny. And, like, I don't care what anyone says. It is funny. Her, like, first TV appearance was, like, fabulous. And her specials are very funny. But I just remember, like, kind of discovering her later and being like, oh, Ellen is very good at stand-up. Yeah. Like, she is very talented. Anyway, side note. Amy says to the guys, oh, you want to dance, do you? Well, how about you dance uncontrollably in some underwear up in those cages that we just conjured? So they do. They don't have much choice in the matter. They send them up there. Willow and Amy sort of make this happen simultaneously without talking about it. They just sort of do some hand-waving with sparks coming out of their hands. Do they have the same idea or do they somehow telepathically communicate? Well, I mean, Willow was seen doing telepathy earlier in the season. That's true. They end up in the balcony doing all sorts of magic. They turn the boy band into a girl band. They put everyone in silly costumes. They're making people float. They make one guy really tall, another really small. They conjure some sheep. Eventually they get bored, switch everything back to normal. But it's way too early to go home. They're wondering if there's something bigger than here. Willow, what are you going to do? Willow. Let's talk about this scene. This scene is like letting us see Willow like... Going too far with her magic, right? Being too willy-nilly with it. Willow-nilly. Using it just for personal pleasure, despite the fact that it's, like, negatively affecting innocent people. Even if you grant that these spells are temporary, making someone super tall and someone super short just for giggles, it's got to be terrifying for those people. Right. To be like, why am I, like, two feet now? Why am I, is this permanent? What's going on? Why am I like this? The guys in the cages, you can forgive because, like, they deserved it. They were being too aggressive. You know what I mean? Like, fine. But, like, then it just is, like, anything they want to do is fun. And, like, they can mess with people's physical appearance and stuff, like, just to get a laugh. And it's, it's like, that's really not cool. Like, really not cool. Not to mention that, like, let's say you do the spell wrong and you, like, kill someone or make them permanently, like, weirdly shaped. Like, it's just wrong to do that even for a minute to someone that is not aware of what you're doing and consenting to it. Also, when Amy, like, mind controls that lesbian woman to come over and, like, flirt with Willow... You pointed out that's really uncool for her because her partner's like now upset with her for something that she had no control over. But also she just sort of made like a little sex slave out of this random woman. And like, that's not okay either. That's awful. She was just going to make just, her dance. I don't know that she had an end goal. I, I hear, Yes, I said sex slave. But at the end of the day, it's like you're making a love slave, whatever that ends up being, you know, like a, someone you're making someone like fall for you regardless of their will or desire or how it impacts them or their relationship. That's awful. And she does it so nonchalantly. Like, here's a woman that'll be your plaything for tonight until we're done with her. Doesn't have to be sexual plaything, just like your dance partner. Like, that, that's not cool. That's mind control. That's fucked up, man. Like, I, they play that off like it isn't a big deal. But that's, like, way worse to me than, like, putting those guys in cages. Like, that is fucked up. And that woman was totally innocent. Yeah. It's interesting. When they switch everything back to normal, it looks like people just, like, go back to having a fun time. Right. So I wonder if, like, some of this is forgotten. Right. Maybe. But, like, then do you need to use the flowers and do the forget spell, you know? Or maybe these people are like, yep, this is Sunnydale. Shit happens. Yeah, almost just like they're hypnotized or something. Yeah. But the girl who saw her partner go talk to Willow, she was, like, outside of the magic. So it makes sense that she would remember what she just saw. Right. Well, meanwhile, Buffy, Xander, and Anya are still researching the frost-shooting, diamond-stealing monster. Which isn't a real monster. No. Xander thinks he's found it, though, in a book that turns out to be just a D&D manual. <laughs> that was funny. 
They talk a bit about Willow. Xander clearly is also concerned with how much magic Willow's been doing. Like, no, we, this is a problem. We need to, like, all keep an eye on her. Buffy wants to believe she'll be fine. It's Willow. She's responsible. But Anya points out it's the responsible good girl types that go all wild when they get a taste of being bad. And now that she's not with Tara, she's really got nothing to keep her from getting sucked in further, especially with this new witch friend enabling her. The phone rings. Spike, being all creepy. He's like, Slayer, meet me at the cemetery. 20 minutes. Come alone. She's like, Spike, what? why are you calling me? <laughs> I think he was trying to be creepy to be fun. Yeah. Bubby tries to, like, pretend it's a work call for her friends, which I think it is. But Spike makes it clear he'd be fine mixing business with pleasure. But it's funny, when she gets off the phone, she's like, oh, it was nothing. He was just seeing if I wanted to patrol. But I told him that I would not. <laughs> she's just like... <laughs> Not hiding it well that she has a crush on him. I don't know. Their relationship's complicated. But this was maybe not a work call because Spike has made a discovery previous to this. While the trio is admiring their diamond and getting ready for phase two, we don't find out what that is, Spike bursts into their lair, demanding that Warren take a look at his chip. Warren's like, yeah, we're kind of in the middle of something. And Spike's like, well, you can play holodeck another time. And then he threatens to decapitate their Star Wars action figure if they don't help him now. This is so funny to me because it's a Boba Fett, but he's got to like check the name on it. He says, help me or Mr. Fett is going to get it. Because in this scene, he's going to make a second Star Trek reference. So apparently Spike's a huge Star Trek fan, but knows very little about Star Wars. But you know what I will say? You mentioned that to me and I laughed and I was like, that's so true. But I will say Spike watches a lot of TV. Yeah. And Star Wars is a movie, and it might be on TV, but Star Trek is on TV all the time. Yeah, and I'm not saying the two are mutually inclusive. I know way more about Star Trek than Star Wars. It's just mm -hmm. an interesting writing choice to make him know a lot about Star Trek, but nothing right. about Star Wars. He's mentioning holodecks. Like, okay. They really don't want him to break their Boba Fett. <laughs> Even Warren is like, yeah, that'd be guys who can't let this happen. <laughs> So they have a little meeting where they agree that Spike is evil and completely capable of removing that head. So they decide to help him because then he owes them. And if they can get him on their side, maybe they can get some info on Buffy and figure out a way to keep her out of phase two. When they present this idea of reciprocity to him, he's like, no, I'm not doing anything for you. You're helping me. That's the deal that they decide to help him anyway. Warren's got some kind of doodad that can just scan Spike's brain, I guess. Right, right. While they're waiting for the results to print, I don't know what this is. <laughs> Andrew and Jonathan are trying to make small talk with Spike about Doctor Who because he's English. And Spike's not a fan of them. He just like screams for Warren. He comes back, hands Spike the results. And Spike's like, help me out here, Spock. I don't speak, loser. There's the second Star Trek reference. Also, yeah. what a funny sentence. I don't speak nerd, <laughs> but I'm going to be heavily referencing Star Trek. Yeah, it sounds like you're speaking a lot of nerd right now. Warren's like, your chip is fine. I don't know what it's supposed to do, but it seems like it's doing it still. That also doesn't really make sense. Like, how would you know what the function is? Like, it's emitting something. It's beeping. You could tell it's beeping, maybe, you know? Like yeah, yeah. He doesn't know. But Spike has a moment of realization. Everything's different now. He realizes there's nothing wrong with him. There's something wrong with Buffy. Mm. So Buffy and her friends are leaving the store. Buffy decides to go patrol. She comes across Spike. He's annoyed because she didn't meet him in 20 minutes, like he said. He's acting all tough, pissing her off. Eventually she hits him. He hits her back. But this time, he doesn't fake that it hurts. And she's like, what? 
How? Huh? Hmm. He's like, don't you get it? You came back wrong. You're the only human I can hit, so maybe you're a little less human than you thought. She doesn't like this. She doesn't want to believe there could be something wrong with her. So she pushes him into this abandoned apartment where they continue their fight. Spike, like, swings from a chandelier and kicks her in the face, telling her she doesn't fit in anywhere, she doesn't have anyone to love. Buffy throws him into the stairs, tells him he's the one that's lost. He's not a human or a vampire. Where does he fit in? It's his job to kill the Slayer, and all he can do is follow her around being all lovesick. Maybe he likes pain. He's like, yeah, I'm a vampire. That's, that's my deal. What's your excuse? This fight quickly turns sexy. Yeah. Buffy kisses him. The walls start cracking. A beam oh falls. Their oh zippers somehow get unzipped. There's insertion. Yeah, uh, things things end God up damn. in oh places. My God, this scene. This scene. Oh my god. What? It's hot, man. Sarah Michelle Gellar knows how to be fucking hot, man. She knows how to be sexy, and I'm sure people feel the same about Spike. The house keeps falling. They fall through the floor on top of each other. But they are. What did you say about the mattress before? They. <laughs> They're doing that. Oh, okay. Let's clean it up. They're having relations. <laughs> they're on a tiny mattress. There's no way to be on it without being inside of each other. That's the only reason that they're doing this. They actually do fall into like a basement floor, but you can tell it's foam. Yeah. <laughs> it just like bounces. This scene is, is cool for a couple of reasons. The sex is like, I don't want to say, it's like violent sex. Like they both hate slash are attracted to each other. Yeah. And they're like, the house is, they're like breaking the house with their like, banging so it's problematic uh in some respects but it's also like it's very hot and like it's definitely an interesting scene to watch yeah like because they can't help it yeah i'm trying to figure out if it's physically possible for them to get into the position that they do without they both have super strength so keep that in mind right i'm not concerned about the her being up against the wall him supporting her just like the actual insertion like no pants are pulled down it happens very quickly we hear a zipper with just like her hand i don't i don't know it seems like there'd be a lot of maneuvering that yeah, would need to go sure. into it for the amount of time that passed their relationship's complicated it seems unhealthy for both of them but um yeah and literally because this house is gonna crumble all around them yeah but we're not here to judge that right now we're just telling you the facts um, so that's the episode. Brian, was this a good one? Yeah, I think so. There's things about it that aren't great. I thought the, like, trio Boba Fett thing, it's supposed to be very funny, but I didn't find it that funny. I thought it was kind of silly. And I'm, like, mad at Willow and Amy for the things they did, but it's not, like, bad writing that we're supposed to be, like, what you're doing is reckless. Like, we're supposed to not love right. what they're doing. So it's not like, oh, I hate that. So, well, that's, I mean, yeah, what they're doing is wrong, and, like, I should be upset by it. And the Spike-Buffy stuff is just so complicated, and there's just so much to unpack about the toxicity of their relationship. But I think the show is like, it is toxic. The show isn't like, this is a great loving romance that we've discovered. It's like, this is a very toxic relationship that a lot of people are actually in in real life. People are in toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's bad writing or like, we're not celebrating the toxic relationship. I don't know that we, if that stays true forever, but like, Having a toxic relationship on screen and calling attention to it being toxic isn't celebrating it. So I am into it. And I think a lot of people are into it. Everyone wanted, not everyone, but a lot of people were shipping Spike and Buffy. Yeah, it's Despite hard not all to. the problems. Yeah. The show's making us want that. Right. But yeah, it's it's shitty for both of them. Because she's like leading him on. I know he's like an evil monster, but like he wants to be in a relationship with her. Yeah. And she's like friend zoning him. 
that word has got so much baggage to it. But she's essentially like, I want you by my side all the time, even though I know you love me and you're doing this because you love me. And I'm giving you physical stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then she like treats him like dirt. Yeah, it's not one of those things where it's like, I have a friend and he's attracted to me, but like he still wants to be my friend. It's like, you know, this guy loves you so much and you're forcing him to spend time with you by like constantly being calling him and stuff. If you actually cared about him, you'd be like, hey, I'm going to not talk to you because I know it's painful for you. However, it's complicated because he's an evil monster who she needs to help kill other monsters. But it's toxic, super toxic. Uh, But I do think a lot of character stuff happened in this episode and I liked it. So I'm going to say I think it's a good episode. Yeah, it's definitely not bad. It's it's a lot of setup. Yeah. I imagine the next episode picks up right where this one left off because like Willow. No, it's a time jump one year ahead. (laughs) Because like Willow and Amy are going to go somewhere else. Right. Double meat palace. Spike and Buffy are kind of in the middle of something. (laughs) Each other. Yeah. Like I don't want to say nothing happened. Like Amy's back. Buffy and Spike had sex. Those are like huge moments. Willow gave in to the things she's been fighting against. Yeah. Dawn had a milkshake. I mean, things happened in this episode. <laughs> but, like, this thing with the trio happened that wasn't really anything. Like, we set up that they right. have a freeze gun and they want this diamond for some reason. Right. It feels sort of part one-y. But, yeah, it wasn't wasn't bad. I feel like it suffers less part one-y syndrome than previous episodes of Buffy. Yeah. Cause there because definitely, like, things actually happened. Big moments. Yeah. Uh, but I also thought this was a pretty funny episode. There were some really funny lines. I really like... I was a rat, you? I was dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, and Buffy <laughs> pretending she wasn't excited to talk to Spike on the phone and yeah. when she was, like, messing with the muggers in the beginning. Yeah, she's like, oh, charge me. That'll be funny. Like, that, yeah. I thought those were some fun lines. So we have to ask, which episode do we think was better? What do you think? I think it was Gilmore Girls. Mm. What do you think? I think it was Gilmore Girls, too. It's hard to compete with that reunion. Yeah. However, I know some Buffy Spike shippers. Probably this was like the greatest episode that had come yet. <laughs> me it like that. I'm sure some people that were like, I want Buffy and Spike to get together. This is my favorite episode. I get that. But, but it's also not much of the episode. Right. But it is pretty hot the way they do it too. So like I can get why people would be like, oh my God, watch this episode every time I want to have sex or something. I think it was just like most of the episode – wasn't eventful stuff there was a lot of just like talking about how willow's being bad yeah with the friends and with tara and dawn right like there were big events but most of the episode was not those right and while it was funny gilmore as always was consistently funny throughout as well a lot of really funny lines in gilmore it also had a lot of big turning points it did april rory coming back it's hard to compete with that reunion i i've got to go gilmore it was a good gilmore yeah buffy was good i just i think it was a better gilmore for sure agreed Okay. Well, if you guys want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 10, Wrecked. As well as Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 10, He's Slipping Him Bread, Dig. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What were your first impressions of April? How did you feel the first time you saw Spike and Buffy banging? What's the smallest bed you've ever slept on with another person? Did you think it was pretty convenient the way that Rory, like, got her life together in about an hour? Did you like the bedroom set? What does Lane see in Zach? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an EY. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Stacy, where we post weekly video recaps of Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. 
If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. All right, let's go see if we can do that thing Spike and Buffy did. Oh, yeah. We both need to have leather pants on. <laughs> like, we got to recreate it exactly, because I do not think it's possible. But uh, prove me wrong, I'm, baby. I am excited to practice this a lot until we get it right. We'll let you know how it went. <laughs> We're going to uh, hurt The neighbor's uh, apartment building is probably about to collapse from fire damage, so we can just go do it over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's part of it, I guess. Bye.